invite you to open your Bibles. We're in a, a series uh, in Joshua. When we began the series, I had no idea uh, what, what this year would hold for us. In fact, I would dare say no one knew except God. The title of the series is Joshua Courageous Faith. That's certainly what we need this morning as we, we read the news, as we watch the reports, as we find out more restrictions or changes that we have to make uh, in our lives. And as we get to this point, we're in chapter 20 in Joshua. As we get to this chapter, uh, a really interesting thing happens. Joshua, because the Lord has commanded them, uh, Joshua says to the people, we need to establish cities of refuge. So let's read that. This is Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge for, from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town, to his own home, to the town from which he fled. Now, this is really interesting. They're setting up a system as they, they settle in the promised land, as they each uh, take their inheritance. For those who would accidentally or inadvertently kill someone, it wasn't a premeditated murder. It wasn't something that, that, that they had planned on doing. There wasn't hatred in their heart. It, it was uh, what we might call manslaughter. Uh, manslayer is the term that's used here in Scripture and, and so God is setting up for them a, a way for this person who is guilty, certainly, but, but there was no malice in his heart. There, there was not a, a planned or, or premeditated uh, event for, for someone who is guilty to actually go and to get a fair hearing and receive a fair judgment. Uh, we hear uh, these days about cities of refuge, um, and they mean a whole different thing. But as we, we look at this, we, we might think, you know, that, that doesn't really apply to me. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I'll ever be in a position that, uh, that I'm, I'm guilty of manslaughter and, and, and have to worry. The, the idea here was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and this person, if he didn't have a place to go, a city of refuge, then, then he would be tracked down and he would be killed probably uh, without much of a trial at all. When we get right down to it, what we understand is that we are all guilty, aren't we? Scripture says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know sin isn't a very popular thing to talk about these days. And, and, and in fact, if we, uh, if we go to someone in the street and and began to talk with them about their sin, the, the immediate thing they, they would say is, you know, why, why are you being so judgmental? But the truth is, we've all sinned. This isn't something that, that we really have to think about long and hard. I remember one time I was at a Southern Baptist convention, and, and the, the people who do Way of the Master, which is a, a way to be able to share Christ with someone, 
they just grabbed a guy uh, out of the, the audience. He had his, his uh, orange jacket on. You could tell he was a worker in the, the convention center where we were. And, and, and they sat him down and, and they began to talk with him. And one of the things, techniques that they use in the way of the master in sharing Christ with people is first to help them understand that they are in need of a savior. And so you, you kind of go through the 10 commandments. And so the, the guy w- was talking, uh, the guy from way of the master was talking with this worker and, and he began to, to ask him some questions. And, and, and I remember it, it was really funny. You know, it, you start off with things like murder. So have you ever committed murder? And of course the guy's going to say, no, we, we hope he would say no. And, and so the guy says, no, you know, I've never committed murder. And, and, and so then he goes on, and, and, and you can see where, where this is going. He, he gets a little bit closer and, and, and a little bit closer. You know, have you ever worshipped uh, an idol? You know, no, you know, I've never done that. And, and then he gets to, to the place where, and this is a man, by the way, and, and, and there's a big crowd that, that's around as they're talking with him. And he says, so have you ever committed adultery? And the guy says, oh, no, you know, I, I've never done that. I wouldn't do that to my wife. And, and then he says, you know, Jesus, Jesus said that if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. So, so let me ask you, have you ever lusted after a woman in your heart? There, there was just a slight pause, and the man said, no, silence among the crowd. You know the next question. The guy asked him, so have you ever lied? <laughs> the truth is that, that we know that we're sinners. You don't have to go far. Uh, just with the Ten Commandments, we, we've all broken uh, several of those probably many times. Scripture tells us that we're all guilty. And, and, and when I think of the cities of refuge, this, this really a way for someone uh, to, to be able to get a fair judgment and a fair trial in the days of Joshua I think of us, and, and, and we, we are guilty. Now, some of the sins that we've committed weren't overt sins. It wasn't like we went and stole a car or we purposefully sat out to sin. Some of the sin that we commit are just inadvertent sins. Some of them are sins of omission. The good thing that you do and you don't do it to, to you, it is sin. And yet, we find that we're guilty. Jesus, fortunately, is the righteous judge for us. In the time of Joshua, the reason they set up the city of refuge is so that there could be a fair hearing, a fair judgment against them. If you'll look in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we find the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And, and so she, she's caught in adultery. You know the story. Uh, they, they gather people there with rocks. They're going to stone her. And, and, and Jesus, uh, the, as best we could figure, that the word here means to doodle or to draw. Jesus kneels down and he draws in the sand. And, 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 and it's almost like he, he's blowing off the, the accusers, these religious leaders. And, and after a little while, they, they prod him again, and, and they say, hey, you know, what are you going to do you know, with this woman? And Moses says that we should stone her. And Jesus said, let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, we've heard that used a whole lot for the, really when people say that these days, they're saying, oh, you don't have any right to say what's right or wrong. And that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. 
Jesus wanted the people who were accusing this woman to realize who actually had the right to judge. After Jesus told them, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone, uh, he, he knelt down and began to, as best we know, doodle or draw in the sand. We, we don't know what it was. Some have speculated he began to write out particular sins. And, and, and you can imagine in, in that context, if that were the case, as Jesus wrote your sin, you would drop your rock and, and go on. These weren't little ones. These are big stones that would cause a lot of physical damage. After a little while, all of the accusers had left. Jesus turns to the woman and he says, woman, where are those who would condemn you? And she said, there are none. And you remember what he said to her? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the one, because he's never sinned, he is the one who has the right to judge us, and he always judges righteously. In fact, if you skip to the end of the book, in Revelation, you'll see that that he will come back, not as the suffering servant anymore, but as the ruling king and kings, the one who will come back and judge righteously all of mankind. But Jesus is not only the righteous judge, he's also the forgiving savior. You know the story, it's in Mark chapter 2, and and this is this is when they, they come and and, and this is the, the friends of, of the paralytic, and, and, and they dig a hole. That, that's actually the word that's used in Greek. They, they dig a hole in the roof. Jesus is with the religious leaders, and we had fun with our students just a couple of weeks ago just, just imagining this. Here's Jesus, this very prominent rabbi who's with all of the, the upper crust of the society, the religious leaders, and, and a little bit of dirt, a little bit of dust falls, and then a, a chunk falls here and falls there, and obviously the conversation would have stopped as the hole opens up and these four friends lower their paralytic friend in the midst of them. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus looked at him and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. That's an odd thing to say to someone who's there for physical healing. We know that Jesus knew that what he needed most of all was a spiritual healing. But but Jesus said that to him and and, and then the religious leaders began to murmur, began to wonder in their heart, who does this guy think he is? Because God alone has the right to forgive sin. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, look, I, I know what you're thinking, but, but which is easier to say? Is it easier to say to this guy, your sins are forgiven, or arise, take your mat, and walk? And so Jesus said, so that you know that the Son of Man has the right to forgive sin, I say to you, Take up your mat and walk. And the guy did. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, we, we see that Jesus is the forgiving Savior. We know that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then it says, and are justified as a great, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over sin. This is what it's saying. We, we think of Old Testament as judgment, uh, New Testament as forgiveness. It's really not that way. God is the same all the way through. And, and what this passage is saying is that God in his mercy looked over sins. That didn't mean that he bypassed it. What it meant was he waited in judgment for the sins of the past until Jesus 
who is our propitiation, a fun word, try using that this week in a conversation with someone. What it means, propitiation means it's is full satisfaction for our sin. He was the, the full atonement for our sin. And he offers that to us by his grace as a gift. We receive forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 26, this blows my mind that, that the one who is the righteous judge is also the sacrifice for the judgment. Here's, here's the way it reads. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what that means. The one who demands payment for our sin, the judge, is also the one who became the payment for our sin. He became the sacrifice. We tend to gloss over this, I think, a little too quickly, but, but what we need to understand, what, what happened on the cross is that Jesus, on the cross took our sin. The way Paul writes it is the one who knew no sin became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have heard some try to explain that away and say, well, Jesus felt like that God had forsaken him. He hadn't really. No, that's not true. We know in Isaiah that Jesus became a curse for our sin. Jesus bore our sin on the cross, and then he bore the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. Mind you, this is the one who will judge us for our sin. He became the payment for our sin. So why would I say all of this? We're talking about a city of refuge. The point is this, is that Jesus is our refuge. I know I know in, in this day and time, there, there's so much uncertainty. Uh, everyone I talk to, myself included, if you were to ask me what next week is going to look like, I really can't tell you. Uh, I, I wouldn't have guessed two weeks ago that we would be here today in, in a digital-only service. And, and I know that, that around us with the uncertainty, there comes fear. But here's what I want you to know. That just in the Old Testament for Joshua and the children of Israel, as God established cities of refuge where they would be judged rightly, Jesus is our refuge. The one who will judge us actually became the payment for our judgment. Because we're guilty. All of us are. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son that whoever trusts in him, whoever believes in him, wouldn't perish, wouldn't receive the wrath of God for our sin because Jesus took that for us, but we would have everlasting life. I want to read to you, David in the Psalms really writes a lot about trusting in God and finding his refuge in God. This is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength a very real present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, that is the Yahweh of hosts, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations to the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In these uncertain times when there's chaos and fear around us, we need to remember to run to Jesus as our refuge. I want to close with Psalm 18, verse 2. And, and this is something that, that I know is going to be on my heart uh, probably in, in the weeks ahead. I would encourage you to, to print this out, post it somewhere that, that you'll be reminded daily. Here's what it reads. Davis said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Let's pray. God, we know that there's so much uncertainty in the world right now more than any other time probably in our lives. There are people who who have no foundation of hope. But Lord, we know that our hope is in Christ. We know that Jesus is our refuge. And so God, this week, would you do something in us? Would you turn our hearts back toward you? Would you help us to, to trust you, Lord, with every single thing in our day? God, we don't know what the future holds but we do know that you hold the future. So, Father, we feel a bit like the man who came to Jesus who said, I, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, we trust you. We pray that you'd help us to trust you more. And, and God, in the days ahead, that we could share the hope that we have in Christ with those around, that we can gather together as your church, the body of Christ, and encourage one another, support one another, teach one another, admonish one another, that we could be the church, even if we can't gather as the church. God, would you do something amazing in our midst? Would you do something amazing in our community? Lord, would you turn this weird and wild and crazy time into a time when people will turn their hearts back to you. And God, I pray that you would start with us, your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you here again next week at 11 o'clock on Sunday.